Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for April 10th, 2017. I am Dylan Flynn. I am Trevor Ickrath. Trevor, they ain't ready. <laughs> no, this is this is a big episode. And it just like it just became a big episode like uh like well, I mean, it was already a pretty big episode. It was already a pretty big It was big already episode. a landmark episode for Hallelujah Monkeys. Only three episodes in, by the way. But it's starting to resemble like a like a hillbilly jalopy with things piled on the top precariously, like waving in the wind as you drive down the highway with it. That's not totally inaccurate. There's so much to get to. A lot of stuff to get to uh, for this episode. Uh, so should we just jump right in? What do you want to talk about first? Well, I want to get this out of the way first, Trevor, is that I done fucked up. I goofed. Uh, oh, right. I was made a fool of. Yes, we both were. Not just any fool, though, an April fool. Yeah, I was made an April fool of. And by extension, I feel that I sort of made April fools of our listeners. Yeah, I, it was. We, we definitely owe them an apology. Or do we owe Diplo a grudge? Like, is this officially... Is Diplo officially on the Hallelujah Monkeys shit list? Is well, that what's happening? First, we should explain. Um, last week, we uh, said that there uh, that gorillas were going to be appearing at a new Australian-centric Coachella festival called Gold Rush. Yes, we did say that. They're not going to do that. Not only are they not going to do that, it has since been brought to our attention that Gold Rush is not a thing that actually exists. It was an April Fool's joke that uh, Diplo, I guess, played on his Snapchat. And I would, I would like to say that Diplo is uh, hereafter banned from appearing on Hallelujah Monkeys. <laughs> never. We'll I don't know. I don't know what context on. he would have shown up on the show, but he, it's not going to happen. Well, now. maybe here's the only extension I can think of is that at one point it wasn't Major Laser kind of an animated character. I think so. So there's always the possibility that there will be a collaboration down the road. But even then. Yeah, no. we are. Then, he would He would never appear on this show. Also, in retrospect, also because of this, Paper Planes by MIA is bad now. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a shame because it was a great song. It's just bad I now. know. It really was. It really yeah. was. But it is a little weird how she says every lyric twice. A little bit. Okay, let's get into the real news. Yes, let's do it. It's all good news now. On April 20th, there will be a, an official Gorillaz app that will release uh, onto iPhone and Android. Um, we don't know that much about it. We know that it's going to have a geocache feature on it, and that they said it's like Pokemon Go. Oh, boy. I'm not sure if I if I if that fills me with confidence. Uh, but the other kind of interesting thing is apparently within the app, you'll have the opportunity to, to win tickets to live shows. Nice. I'm... I'm really excited about how obviously there are going to be live shows this tour. Not even just festivals, just like I it seems like they're going to do a tour, which is cool. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And and not too much to say about this app announcement yet, but I assume Trevor that once it drops, we'll do like a review, you know. Yeah, totally, definitely. Cuz I think it'll come out on a Friday, so we'll have like a good weekend to mess around with it and it'll then be perfect. tell you guys what we think. Um, but yeah, heads up, April 20th, download it. I think it's yeah. free. Gorillas go. Uh, Damon has teased Trevor that over 40 unreleased Gorilla songs have been recorded for the Human Sessions. But when hasn't he? Well, that's true. Maybe not every phase, but in Plastic Beach, we were sitting around waiting for a lot of unreleased uh, material. I don't know if you know this, but everybody was expecting there to be kind of like a Plastic Beach 2 with all these yeah. songs we never ended up hearing. Like, uh, there was Crashing Down... Um, Sloped Tropics, which was supposed yeah, to be Yeah, we had a uh, ton of... Yeah, a song with De La Soul on it. 
Electric Shock, although that one was kind of cannibalized into uh, Rhinestone Eyes in the end, I think. We'll talk right. about that, though. I, th- I think that whether or not we ever see hide or hair of these songs has everything to do with how successful humans is. Do you think mm-hmm. that it being more successful is likely to have Damon release the songs, or is lack of success going to be the thing that drives him to go, we got to do think more? I lack, think lack of success is what makes his attention quickly move on to other things. I would agree. I think that, that the way that Phase 3 fizzled at the end had everything to do with us not having heard those songs. Mm-hmm. But I've decided, Trevor, that my marching order about Phase 4 is is naive, cockeyed optimism. Fingers crossed. I'm saying it's going to happen. And you know what else I'm saying is going to happen? More remixes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they do seem to keep happening. It's true. We had two new official remixes uh, this this week. We had a remix of Andromeda by Bonobo uh, and a remix of We Got the Power by Claptone. What did you think of these? Um, I didn't like either of them, really. Yeah, not really. I just wasn't, wasn't able to really super get into that. I guess I liked, if I had to pick one or the other, the We Got the Power one was a little bit interesting. Um, I only made it like two minutes in. It's like six minutes long. Why are remixes so long? I don't know. But it is interesting that they pared the track down to just Damon's vocals. Um, you know, that's that's one direction you could take it. They're yeah. both kind of boring. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Not boring, though, is this news that uh, Gorillaz are teasing a sequel to the Demon Days Festival in Chicago. Demon Days Chicago. Oh, my God. Do we wait? First, we should talk about the uh, Q Magazine, right? Because this is like, yeah. this was a big, like, leak. This was like the equivalent of some kind of, like, Russian dossier talking about how... <laughs> Uh, the president <laughs> likes to get peed on or something. It's true. So the Q Magazine article, which, which by the way, hit the internet just hours before we started recording today. Yeah, you woke me up with this news, and there's a lot of news from it. There's so much in it. And even the stuff that isn't easily pared down to like a news story or a soundbite is fascinating. So yep. I really do recommend that you check our Twitter when this episode goes live, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link you to some scans of that article. Yeah, read this article. In fact, I think it, it really gives us what I believe is the most definitive answer to what went down between Damon and Jamie after phase three uh, that we've gotten so far. I don't know. It almost seems like at the end of every phase, the assumption is that Jamin and Jamin, the assumption (laughs) is that Damon and Jamie kind of hate each other now. Right. Right. But apparently it really was true at the end of uh, plastic beach. Yeah. They didn't speak for three years and they, and they get into it. It sounds like normal friendship shit to me. Yeah. But let's talk about the big news stories from that let's article. Do it, yeah. Demon Day Chicago. I'm so excited about that, man. I I hope, I hope and pray that I'm going to be able to get it out to that. That's yeah. just so exciting that we're getting a stateside version of that festival. Well, like I've told you, we need to keep growing the podcast, get that Squarespace uh, and Casper Mattress cast so we can oh, you know, yeah. use that to fund stuff like going to Demon Day Chicago. Yeah, for sure. Let's make our listeners pay for our Gorilla Stream experiences. <laughs> I mean, that's why I got into podcasting, honestly. Yeah, all in the name of, no, we're bringing the experience to you. Nah, I'm all, about, I'm all about that audible money. Perhaps bigger, however, Trevor, is the uh, the intimation that Jamie Hewlett is, as we speak, as these microphones are recording our voices, hard at work on a 10-episode Gorillas TV show. 
That's really exciting. It kind of uh, kind of recasts the whole Spirit House music video as almost like a pilot. Yeah, for sure. It, that Spirit House makes sense to me as a setting for a TV show, actually. And like we we think about a band doing a ten episode TV show, kind of as a like different concept, I think. But how different really is that from an artist like Beyonce releasing like a visual album where every track has like a music video? I'm really surprised that uh, we've never kind of gotten anything like that from the Gorillaz Project before. What do you think? Like uh, Netflix? Netflix for sure, right? Yeah, that'd I mean, be pretty cool. The, that to me makes so much sense. They're they're really good at handling uh, sort of the visual side of marketing of TV shows already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could totally see them doing up the Netflix front end page for a, a day or half a week or whatever to be all gorillas It would be cool. Just like those 40 unreleased songs, though. Jamie has always, quote marks, been at work on some kind of gorillas movie or TV show. But, you know, fingers crossed this time that you, it actually you, happens. You go ahead and be that voice of reason. I'm going to be the voice of reason. I think that's the kind of the develop, uh, the dynamic that we're going to have to start developing here. I'm saying it's all going to happen. We're going to hear 45 songs after Humans is released. We're going to get that gorillas TV show. Hopefully in like, you know, hopefully in half a year, we're doing a special three hour long episode where we go through all those 40 songs in detail and review the <laughs> TV right. show. The fact that the fact that we heard it's a 10 episode show gives me a little bit of hope because that is a very specific detail. Yeah. And, and also they didn't say they didn't use the verb planning. They used the verb working. Working on. Yeah. So, you know, these are little morsels that we can cling to. Yeah. You, here's something you can you can you can get down to the steak and bar and put your put your bets down on is that there will be three pop up spirit houses in three cities across across the globe uh, from Gorillas. This is really cool. This is really cool. And you know, my initial reaction was like eh, multimedia experience, whatever. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I started to think about the actual possibility of like a Jamie Hewlett curated haunted house with a Gorillas theme, I I'm know. like, oh. That sounds so dope. Uh, okay, so here's how it works. It is a walkthrough experience. Uh, it's going to feature exclusive music and custom artwork, and it's going to have physical installations and digital productions. Um, and admission is free, but you've got to go to Sonos.com, S-O-N-O-S.com, uh, and make a reservation. You also have to live either in Brooklyn, Berlin, or Amsterdam, or be willing to make quite a trip. Yeah, or be willing to travel. So Brooklyn is April 21st through the 23rd. Uh, Berlin is April 28th through the 36th. And Amsterdam getting fucked over with one day, just May 6th. Yeah, so hurry. You got to rush out. This sounds awesome. I wish I could go. Me too. I don't know why there's not a West Coast one. Fucking Brooklyn. I know, that's a real bummer. Fucking Brooklyn. And I mean, I'm in the South. Obviously, we get nothing, and and, and, and we like it. We expect it. Yeah. Yeah. but I'm sure that a, that a, a few crafty fans will give us a nice HD walkthrough of this thing. Hopefully, yeah, definitely. I wonder, Trevor, are we are are people going to be able to get in that bath? Are they going to be able to drop trow and and get a little scrub it up going? I don't know. I know the I know the bath has become a thing with the gorillas fandom. I I missed its inception. I think so. I'm not really sure what everybody on the Reddit is just screaming about at all times. Yeah, it's a meme that a little, that defies me slightly as a nearly 30 year old man. But yeah. I will say that I think that the band has like officially co opted it. I think yeah, the, I think the, the gorillas Instagram it. has like has like been posting bath memes or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is very funny how, in that video, how Murdoch's tongue comes out all far when he sees the bat. <laughs> I agree. It's a good moment. Let's get into it, dude. This is the real story of the week, right? Yes. Let me out. 
the 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 new track featuring uh, Mavis Staples and Pusha T. Uh, let's play a clip of that. Yes, let's hear it. You got to die Trevor, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Okay, so I think this one's pretty cool. I don't know if I like it as much as... um, I definitely don't like it as much as Saturn's Bars or Andromeda, but I think it fits in pretty well in that kind of like ascension level. I do like it better than We Got the Power. I'll I'll just say right off the top, I think that this is Mavis Staples' song. Like, I think that she runs away with it and absolutely both just, of the other people on this track pretty pretty yeah she really casts like a towering shadow over this song yeah i mean it's it's a huge huge moment uh and i so what's your relationship with pusha what do you think about pusha t i'm not super familiar with clips i've heard uh i think like two of their albums once or twice and you uh-huh. know I'm, I'm also familiar with all the work he's done with uh kanye in the past like seven years or so right i don't uh i don't love him me either. And I, think I, know he's that... a, I think he's a good fit for the whole good music roster. I always like his verses on the Kanye songs that he's on, but just never really super stands out to me. I was definitely... So he put out... An, if you're not super familiar with Pusha, uh, I guess it's been two years ago since he put out that record, Darkest Before the Dawn, or was it one year ago? Anyway... I haven't, I haven't heard that one. The last uh, Pusha T solo record I listened to was My Name Is My Name. Yeah, My Name Is My Name, which that I was, think is... That one was cool. It's got some good songs on it. Darkest Before the Dawn was like a very deliberate gear shift into like push a T artist, you know? Right. Uh, and and for the most part, I think the music world was like very willing to go with him on that. He's got um, this. Um, he's got this big album that he keeps uh, he keeps teasing at called uh, King Push, which is right, one of those yeah. big rap albums that just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back, and we have no idea when we're going to hear it. But apparently, that sounds like it's going to be like his big defining artistic statement. It's kind of a bad idea to name your album King Push and then keep pushing the release date back. <laughs> uh, the problems that I have with Pusha T as as a musician are actually there on this song also. Interesting. Um, but I do think, because I've listened to the song a lot in the last week, and I actually think it works pretty well for what the song is. I guess my main problem with Pusha T is that when he becomes socially conscious, when he when he goes into to political Pusha, mode uh it's very bludgeon you over the head direct well i feel like he doesn't usually rap about this kind of stuff too often well he did quite a bit on that that last record that everybody decided was brilliant okay Uh, because the (laughs) most of his career is him exclusively rapping about selling coke yes yes and i gotta say i'm a little disappointed that we don't now have a gorilla song about selling coke a little bit i'm also disappointed he didn't go yuck <laughs> it so is a more reserved, buttoned-down Pusha. Yes, uh, but I think it makes sense based on what Damon was asking for uh, from him. Totally falls pretty in line with that of uh, Staples verse too. And one thing that really came into sort of clearer focus for me listening to the song is, and also listening to more of Damon's interviews about this record is kind of the concept of this record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I guess we don't know yet, Trevor, how much Damon's concept that he pitched to the artists will directly reflect the the canonical story experience that we're going to get from this album. Yeah, I know what you mean. On the art side of things, I we don't know that for sure yet. But what we do know is that Damon basically said to everybody who worked on this, "Imagine that the world has just gone through 
a catastrophic event. Uh, and the and somewhat ironically, the pitch that he kept using for all the people who worked on it, like, imagine it's election night and Donald Trump just won. This was all. This album was all recorded during that election year, as as sort of the Trump phenomenon was was picking up uh, speed and and building steam. Did I see that backward? Is it building speed and picking up steam? I don't remember. This this song, like, I kind of wrapped my head around that concept on this song. Because I saw it as kind of like, you're at this end of the world party, right? And there's a weird atmosphere in the air. Uh, like, you know, Vince Staples obviously was like, all right, well, I'm going to get laid. <laughs> I mean, if the world's about to end, <laughs> I better have some fun, right? Uh, but I like this idea of this song about kind of like a young black man and sort of an elder stateswoman of the civil rights movement kind of quietly walk off to the, a corner to sort of try to make sense of this on their terms. Yeah, it's an interesting dialogue between them. It really is. Because, yeah. like, Pusha is like, am I going to die? Am I going to outlive my nieces and my nephews? And then Mavis's answer is, like, this really horrifying wisdom, which is like, maybe, yeah, sometimes you do die. Yeah. You know? What I what took me a few listens to decide whether or not I loved was whether or not David Albarn belongs on this song. Yeah, I don't really like his part. I like it now. I think I like it because uh, I like it because it's cinematic. I like that it that it pulls the scope of the song out to this much like wider view. Okay, I can appreciate that. Yeah, so it's like this very intimate moment between these two people. And then at first, Damon's verse kind of sounded like an, and I'm here too, you know, like it was sort of this weird moment of like, uh-huh, what are you doing in this song, buddy? <laughs> it feels, it felt a little like undercooked or something. Like the fact that like so much of it is just him going like, yeah, 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 like like you couldn't there's no lyric for that and the melody reminds and the way that the vocals are produced remind me more than just a little bit of hong kongaton it's interesting that you it's interesting you bring hong kongaton up because i've been listening to that song like quite a bit recently that's like a fucking jam it is really good i don't think i liked it when it first came out i definitely didn't but it was like a little too creepy for me i think back then but now i think I've, for me like, i thought it was too repetitive but now i kind of drone on it it's really know. cool but we'll talk about that when we talk about the phase 2 b-sides whenever that is what do you think about um the band censoring the words obama and trump oh yeah this is interesting we should talk about this cuz yeah. they do it also on Vince Staples song they on do Ascension. here it's a little more noticeable though because uh Pusha actually says Obama a couple times then he says Trump and yeah and, like in the space of of half of a verse uh yeah. Really interesting. Really mm -hmm. interesting. Um, I'm curious to know whether or not the album versions are going to do the, the same. I'm going to. Ex I'm expecting that they're not. Interesting uh, because I feel like now with streaming services, I feel like we have kind of moved away from the concept of a single version. That you might be. You might be right. Does about that make that. sense? Because these weren't put up as you know singles. At least this one wasn't. I think the. No, I don't think the other ones were either. These weren't really put out as singles so much as they are just kind of tracks you can already listen to from the album, if that makes – that's been my yeah. – like Well, then there is – yeah, it, there's a good chance of that. And I suppose also if you bought these songs on iTunes, then then these are the versions that are going to be on your full album when it drops. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. It's, it's certainly a talking point. I've tried to sort of turn over in my head what I thought it meant. Like, it seems like it's equating the names of our leaders with curse words in an interesting way. Interesting. I didn't think about that. That's pretty yeah. cool, though. So so the way that, that Pusha talks about Obama is quite reverential. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that Vince talks about Obama really isn't. He's like, I'm going to... 
I'm gonna trick him into being friends with me and then go to the White House White House and wipe my ass with the American flag. So you know God bless Vince Staples. Vince, what a what a the the further we get from hearing that song, the more I love it. I love that song. It's really good. Uh, but yeah, I haven't quite unpacked in my head what I think with the significance of bleeping out the presidential names is. What are, what's your take on it? I think if nothing else, it kind of prevents the track from, uh, it kind of future proofs the track against feeling dated. That's true. Yeah. It is like a sealant against the way, the wear and tear of age and time. And it feels weird for gorillas as kind of not only an animated band, but also a British one to be making this kind of commentary on American politics. I like your thing about equating it to swear words though. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something about it felt like, you know, listening to a, a song on the radio. And in fact, they used that same car honk uh, to bleep out uh, f- the word fucking in the spirit bar or in the spirit house music video. So, you know, they, certainly the connection is there. You can connect those dots if you want to. Yeah. Plus, who wants to have Trump's name on their album? <laughs> like, did you listen to um, that really good Tribe Called Quest album that came out last year? Uh, oh, yeah. Amazing. They kind of cut up a sample of something. We'll take it from here. Donald Trump, but they replaced every Trump with Fife Dog. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, hip-hop needs to figure out how to heal from the wounds of 30-plus of years of rappers name-checking Donald Trump unironically as, yes, a, as a business tycoon. It's going to be, it's gonna be, yeah, that's going to be an interesting pivot. Uh, that's the news that we got through it, Trev. We made we it. Let's get on to uh, let's get on to the second half of the podcast because I'm really excited about this for obvious reasons. This is reasons. a big moment for us, for yeah, sure. Landmark episode of Hallelujah Monkeys. You may have seen the title of this episode mm-hmm. and know that we talked to somebody who worked on the album. We did. I, we had a really good time doing it. I was super stoked that it even happened in the first place. Uh, a little bit of background about who we're going to talk to. She is a uh, a Brooklyn, New York uh, singer, actress. Uh, flautist and and producer and uh, polymath, a polymath, a polymath, a Renaissance woman, and I'm really excited for you to hear this. I, I do think while there aren't any sort of uh, necessarily big news bombshells to be had in this, I do think it's just a really interesting glimpse uh, into the recording of humans and uh, just the kind of people that they cultivated to work on this record. Makes it feel all like a very steady hand is at work behind this album and a very deliberate one. Yeah, we learned some pretty cool stuff. So uh, let's talk to Melanie JB Charles. What's it gonna be? I don't know about you, but it feels like a BK block party. Hey, hey, hey. I don't know about you, but it feels like a BK block Uh, Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're just so excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me. You're the first guest that we've interviewed. Yay! That's fun. I like to be the first. I really, I'm excited for our listeners to get to know you, and I guess also for us to get to know you. Uh, You've had like a really crazy journey, a really crazy story, uh, full of of lots of familiar names for people who are kind of into the the world of... of, uh, art and music and the performing arts. In fact, uh, you actually went to LaGuardia High School for the performing arts, which is awesome. Yeah, I did. I, I have to ask, like, on behalf of my 12-year-old self, is the movie fame accurate? Is, it, is that how it really was? Every day was, like, fame. Ugh. 
That's so crazy. Every single day. No, seriously. High school was incredible. Like, I learned the most in high school. I had the most fun in high school. I was the most happy. Like, the LaGuardia experience is golden. How does it even... Do you, like, declare a path of study there? Or do you just get a full-rounded, like, you're going to learn dance, you're going to learn acting, you're going to learn singing, no matter what? Well, you have to already basically know what you're focused in because you have to audition on your whatever your skill is. So for me, I was actually a flute major. So I had to like prepare, you know, certain material and like play at a high level. And I had to have like good grades. You know what I mean? So I think it's really badass that you learn the flute young and then continue to use that skill. Like the flute comes with you through your music. It's a big part of your, your whole brand, you know? It's interesting because it's kind of been a new newish addition because like when I was in school at the new school in college like I really didn't play flute at all um I kind of just did it for myself like at home and then I was like you know what why don't I like bring that back into you know like what I'm doing like why not you know and it's so interesting like people love it like that's people like gravitate to the flute almost first now and then they're like oh okay she can sing you know it's funny it's great when you can incorporate that kind of stuff into your art and make it such an integral part. Yeah, especially because I, I guess you, the more traditional, like the story you always hear is like, yeah, I spent 12 years learning the trumpet and now I have a trumpet and it collects dust in my house or whatever. Yeah. And like I, I was annoyed when I got flute. Like I wanted saxophone. Like I was doing this competition, the singing competition, and I missed the first day when you get to choose your instrument. And then I was stuck with the flute. And I was like, damn, like I want a loud instrument, you know? But right. now I'm so happy. Like it's so portable. <laughs> Great. Can you clear up? Is it? Is, should I say? Should I be saying flautist or flutist or fluter? I think you can think say it's... whatever the hell you want to say, dude. I think it's flautist. Flautist, sure. I say flautist. How different do you think your life would be right now if you'd gotten that saxophone? Well, I mean, it would have been. It would. It would be interesting. That would be an interesting path too. Like, that would be even more badass. I think, but. I don't know. I don't know. The flute is underrated. Definitely. You don't see it a lot. You don't see it's it a true. lot. But but it is like starting to like come back in. Like people are starting to like be like, oh, the flute. Like the fader did like this post the other day about this girl. She was playing flute in her bathroom and they were like, this girl should be playing with future. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you should be playing with future. <laughs> nah, I want to open up for future. That's what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? That'd be amazing <laughs> if you went to a future show and there was just a full set of just flute before <laughs> the future. That would be so cutty. That's so good. He does have a really flute driven song on his new album. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mask Off. There's flute on there? That's true. It's like a little, it sounds like a little flute kind of recorder-ish thing. Oh, shit. Yeah, check that one out. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to learn it and send it to Future and tag him. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate that. We'll tweet it at him. We'll tweet it at him, too. We'll retweet really you. So do you, once you're in that high school, though, do you get to... Do you also learn voice or dance, or do you just so, study Yeah, well, well, so for me, I was lucky. I was a flute major, but I auditioned for all the musicals as a singer, and I was cast in about, you know, two, two musicals. I did Rent, and I did Hair. And, like, our musicals are, like, Broadway status. Like, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, crazy. Um, were you were you company, or were you... What did you play? I want to know what you played. I'm kind of a theater geek myself. Oh, really? 
Okay, well, in rent, I was the middle chick, and I did white boys. I mean, in hair, I did white boys. You know white boys? Oh, white boys is an amazing song. White boys are so pretty. I love that song. Um, and I also, like, played flute on stage and, like, sang on, like, Hare Krishna. Like, I had, like, a little solo part in that. Nice. Um, so cool. And then in rent, I was a, no, 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 not rent, Lee Miz. I was a prostitute. Sure. Fun. Right? Did, you, did they have to rub fake dirt all over your face so that you look real grimy? Yes. They rubbed the fake dirt all over my face, and it was it looked pretty legit. It looked pretty legit. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you were if you were because a lot of kids at that you know who are talented have different ways of expressing themselves. So Laguardia at the time that I was there at least allowed you to sort of cross. Um, departments and do different things so is that when you were um introduced to jazz music yeah i was introduced to jazz music late i was introduced to like my senior year of high school um when i was like trying to decide what where i wanted to go to college and um i thought i was gonna be an opera singer because oh while i was in the guard i was also like studying privately opera and stuff and like i won like a lot of competitions singing mozart the queen of the night aria you know that one Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't actually know that one. God, Dylan, come on. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that one. So, like, I sang that, and, like, people threw money at me. And, like, that's how I, like, paid for college. Um, But I was, I was like, auditioning for Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music. And the way it was at Juilliard, like, you, you can have, like, a consultation with um one of the teachers before you... Um, do your official audition and I sang for her and she was like yeah that was good but you know like as a black girl you really should do something like jazz like you should just do that <laughs> what? and I guess because I told her I guess I wrote down in my application that I also did other forms of music and the truth of the matter is the opera world you have to be like totally like 100% about that you can't be doing other shit too you know what I mean I and you. like she kind of like discouraged me but I'm so glad that that happened because I fell in love with jazz so much and like i would not like be doing what i'm doing right now if i went to juilliard for opera so like she was like kind of mean but like somehow like she played a role like that was necessary you know what i mean yeah thanks thanks weird racist opera lady (laughs) (laughs) the world is better for it because you've done some really amazing work in the world of jazz just that i've been listening to over the last uh over the last couple of weeks, um, you've had a really fruitful partnership with oh, uh, an Italian fellow uh, whose name I can't remember right now. Nicola Conte. Nicola Conte. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. He totally reminds me of that kind of bossa nova pop that was like really popular in the '60s, but kind of like a really modern take on it. You know. I love it. Like that. Like that was a huge learning experience for me. Like. Because, like, the the music that he liked was really, like, soulful, like, but, of course, like, that bossa, euro, jazz sound, um, and it was really beautiful, and he, like, expected a lot out of me, like, we toured for, I, 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 I guess, for, like, two years, you know, and, like, finally, like, the last, second to last show, he was like, you finally did it right, and I was like, shit, <laughs> harsh you know but i loved it i liked those i and i my life has put me in harsh situations pretty frequent and so like i sort of have developed this like thick skin you know so it's cool it's really good 
I want to talk a little bit about uh, your Haitian heritage and your Haitian identity um, because it seems like it's pretty central to almost all of your output as an artist. Um, I guess this is a weird nebulous question to ask, but like, does the culture of Haiti in like a really direct way uh, influence the direction that you take your art? And like, how does coming from a Haitian family influence you as an artist? Okay, well, so my my whatever i've been bringing into the music and like my expression with haiti is sort of like rooted in sort of my discovery of voodoo because my family grew up baptist right I, I, I was raised baptist my mom and my grandma were catholic and then turned baptist like we weren't the we weren't part of that side of the Haitian culture, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, but then when I was in high school, someone was looking for a, a young Haitian singer to sing this Haitian song, and I was like, I don't know, singing in, Haitian, in Creole, but alright, I'll, like, learn the song. And, like, I learned the song for the gig. It was at SOB's, and, like, I fell in love with it. And so, that sort of, like, piqued my interest into getting deeper into that. You know what I mean? Yeah, what do you think it was? Was it the sound of the actual sound of the language or the, yeah, the, the way the music was written? The way the music is written, like the melodies are so like there is folk music, you know what I mean? And like every culture who has like their folk music really like touches you deeply um, because the, where these people were when they were writing them. And, you know, I'll play some melodies without even the lyrics or anything and people hear it and it puts them in a trance, you know? Um, it, it's a very powerful, magical music. And then also, like, the rhythms. Like, there's so many rhythmic patterns, and, like, they all mean something, and they all, like, pay tribute to a different god. And, like, it's it's just so deep and so vast and so artful. It's sort of like a taboo um, voodoo in, in, in Haiti. You know, like, there's those who do it, those who don't, those who do it and don't admit that they do, those who do both. You know what I mean? Um, and I look at it as a beautiful beautiful body of art um and so i think that it's going to be a lifetime of discovery for me and also i feel like i'm just trying to figure out why when people think of haiti they only think of wyclef you performed and toured internationally with the uh brooklyn youth chorus who have worked with everyone from barbara streisand to grizzly bear to uh, another former gorillas collaborator lou reed uh don yeah. and i would love to hear a story about your time in the chorus that was a great time. I was, like, really young. I guess I was, like, junior high, high school time. Um, and we... That's where I, like, studied bel canto singing. I loved choral singing. I was a floater, so I was, like, an alto and soprano because, like, I had a great ear. <laughs> and our director, Diane, she was really great. Like, really chill and just encouraged us and took us everywhere, like... I was always in Park Slope. That's what makes me, I think that's why my art is so, like, weird. It's because I grew up in, like, Park Slope, you know, rich Brooklyn after school. I was there. But then I went to school in Williamsburg, you know what I mean? And, like, I went to, like, the same right. junior high that Jay-Z went to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, I was, like, all, and I, I lived in Bushwick, so. <laughs> that makes sense. You're, like, an intersection of so many different schools of thought and music you yeah. know but Brooklyn Youth Chorus is still around and um 
I we worked there was this guy named Kirk Newrock. I don't know if you heard of him. He's sort of like a pioneer in like modern jazz, like underground type of world. And oh, after cool. he he wrote some pieces for us at Brooklyn Youth Chorus later on, I auditioned for the new school and he was teaching there. And so I developed like a relationship with him in writing and like he really taught me some amazing things in writing. So like BYC has been like that underlying platform for me you know what i mean from day one and i and i guess you also kind of traveled the world with them right yeah we went to moscow we did like competitions in moscow germany um like i was like we we took a boat um down the volga river for two weeks i remember one day like i passed out like dehydrated and like it was my first time like out of the country without my mom but I made it through, and I came, oh, I came were back. Were there some tears shed? You could admit it. Oh, man, I cried. Like, no, I was a mess. Like, looking back, Aww. I'm like, I was a little baby, but it, it was my first time, you know. And I came back home, and my mom was like, you're so skinny. But, like, between me and you, I didn't really like Russian food. Oh, no. I mean, I, yeah, stroganoff. I can't really think of any Russian food that I like. You yeah, know? I, I've never had too much Russian food. Guys, can we all just agree right now that we all love our moms? Yo, our moms are the best, man. Wouldn't be here without her. How lucky are we? I love my mom. All right, so now that we've uh, now that we've talked about some of your musical history, do you want to talk about uh, maybe some of your uh, more recent work? Because uh, Dylan and I have both been checking it out, and we're big fans. Minutes before we got on to the Skype call, I was listening to your your EP with Rat Habitat, hey. uh, which I probably listened to like six or seven times Aww. now. Yeah, really that is a really it. cool release. Thank you. I, I actually specifically, for our listeners who are like kind of wanting to get into Melanie Charles, I think that Rat Habitat's a great place to start if you're a Gorillaz fan, because it's, it's just juggling so many different kinds of influences of like hip-hop and electronic music and, mm. and yeah. uh, pop music, you know. Listening Thank to your you. stuff, it's really easy to see why like a project like Gorillaz would be attracted to your sound, considering how many Absolutely. different influences you take and blend them together. Thank you. And especially I want to talk about, so one of the, one of the I guess the lead single off that EP is this song called Gemini. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's, and it's kind of, a, it's like a, a story about this prophecy that you got from a fortune teller when you were uh, walking around Greenwich Village and... It feels true, so I, I'm guessing that it's a true story. It's definitely a true story. What? How long ago was that? Do you think? Because it's, it's been like two years since the since the record came out. Yeah, so it was like I would say two years ago, two and a half years ago. So I I have to ask if you've actually met your Gemini soulmate yet. I you know I haven't met my Gemini soulmate, and it's so funny because that's so I say too bad he's a Leo because what I need is a Gemini, and like when I wrote that song, <laughs> right. I was dating a leo and then when he heard the song he was like really and i was like no it rhymed it rhymed. <laughs> as, a, as a leo i can confirm that we're like the worst though i'm a pisces so everything about that song makes a lot of sense to me yeah. well you're pisces hey yeah. well okay so i'm a leo rising so like i love leos so but Leos are are tough, but, like, I haven't connected with a Gemini. I have a lot of Gemini friends. Like, now that time has passed since the prophecy, um, I think that the psychic didn't... I, I don't think she meant it romantically. I think she just meant, like, building. Like, Geminis are really good people to, like, build things with projects-wise. Because reoccurring um, guys in my life, um, relationships have been cancers. I don't know. Ooh, in more ways than one? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> 
Yeah, all the Geminis I've ever met, though, have been really, like, creative, industrious people. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I love Geminis. I also want to talk about Nancy Wilson, because I think Nancy Wilson is such a badass. And uh, you recently did a a cover of How Glad I Am. Yeah. Um, And it's like a jam. Yeah, oh, it's so it's different really from good. the original too. Like it's just it's just got a totally different vibe. Did you know I, that did you know Nancy's version like before like you you familiar with it? Yeah, I'm totally familiar with Nancy's hey. version. It's probably one of my favorite songs by her. Yeah, I look, Nancy is like number 1 to me. I think she's so beautiful, so sexy. She knows how to tell a story impeccably like she's just uh the best and a cancer <laughs> friend of mine <laughs> right introduced me to that song and i was like how have i not heard the song as a jazz head but it's so weird like that's the thing about genre sometimes you're like oh yeah this i love this and then you miss some things you know so anyway i i, I found out about that song pretty late and so i was like yo i want to do a jazz trap version hey i want to do a jazz trap version and i like went to like a, a couple producer buddies to like help me produce it and like nothing quite like hit it and i'm talking i hit up some cats you know what i mean heavyweights right and then like i started working on the sp the sampler and like i ended up producing it myself and it was like a huge lesson of like when something can you connect to music sometimes you have to like trust yourself and like trust that you can do it you know what i mean on your own yeah that's a special song i want her to hear it like if i ever get to meet her i just want to be like nancy i love you and you inspired this and i hope she likes it <laughs> like why aren't these old people googling themselves she'd have heard it by now you think she googles herself you think old people do that i don't think they do i don't no. think they do i feel like my mom would like if my mom was nancy wilson she would google herself <laughs> she'd have a google <laughs> alert set up for herself <laughs> Uh, Trevor, should we, I mean, should we, technically we're a gorillas podcast, right? <laughs> it would probably be a good idea to start talking about them, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a good idea. So, Melanie, were you a, were you a fan of the project before you came to work on Humans? I, I, I can't say that I was a fan, but I always, like, respected their work and whatever I heard, I always dug it. But I didn't really delve deeply, to be honest. How, do you, how does a person even become involved with the Gorillaz Project or with the recording of the album? Like, how did you end up on that album? Well, a friend um, of mine was a good friend and collaborator with one of the producers on the album, Tone. Okay, um, yeah. And um, they they wanted us an ensemble, and like she was like, "Girl, you want to do it?" And I was like, "Sure." Um, and we did it, and it was an a totally the most like spiritual musical experience I've had. Like, oh boy, I, I, I didn't expect that. Nice. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about that. Like, what what made it so spiritual yeah if you could talk about the process at all that'd be great the process was you know we had to like sign like the contract saying you know so that we can't talk about it like before the music came out and everything i mean that was the first time i had to do something like that so i was like okay that's interesting and then like musically it wasn't like here learn these songs and come sing it it was like you, I like each and every one of you are here because you there's something special that you have and like how can we combine like the colors of your sounds with this message like you know Trump wasn't Trump was was starting to happen and like we were all like feeling that you know what I mean and yeah. um it was like 
it was very clear that like this record was like a cry like like they were coming from like church with it you know what I mean and I was like wow this is wild um and it, we did like days it was like all day for like I think it was three days I would say you know the gorillas are so like mysterious you know totally like they literally have sort of a shield up. But it's yeah. because they're so it's because they're so honest and they're not about the bullshit. Like they're really about this music and they honestly they understand that this is what saves us. Like this is the medicine for the world. You know what I mean? And so they don't want to get distracted with the bullshit. Like that's why they're so like that. And I understand that now after that experience. You know what I mean? That's so cool. How is the how is that concept of of the social aspects of the record how was that sort of described or pitched to you as an artist we didn't it wasn't clear like they were so like just like come with us like let's have this adventure let's we didn't hear anything before we didn't know anything about what the music we didn't know what the sound was we just all came into the studio it's like how many of us like six singers we came in they played um the beats and some of them already had some lead vocals on them some of them didn't and they like i remember when we did hallelujah money they were like all right you know this is the melody what harmony you guys have like what what okay let me hear that all right like i need somebody wailing up top like you know like this right now what's going on is some bullshit this is crazy like we have to be honest right now like i need to hear it was it was like that you know what i mean it wasn't technical scientific it was really it flowed but it was a surprise we didn't know what to expect they just kind of gave you a little bit of direction and let you take it from there? Yeah, you know? And let you guys collaborate. It was, like, it sounds exactly. like you guys really shaped the choral sound of this record. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And I and it was great that they trusted us in that way. And, like, even amongst the singers, like, depending on the song, different ones of a different, a different one would, like, sort of take the lead in terms of, like, phrasing and tone and, you know what I mean? We were so, like, sensitive and connected because it was such an organic, honest experience musically. It was, it was a breath, it was nothing. Whereas, like, when, when you go into projects, sometimes it can be really, like, okay, here's the parts and you gotta, this is the soprano, this is alto, and then you don't have that, like, chemistry. How exciting, because you think about uh, people coming in the track, you know, choral-type vocals, just showing up to the studio and there being sheet music in front of them and they have to, you know, okay, you're going to sing this part, you're going to sing this part. No. This sounds so much more organic than that. It really was. It really was. And, um... I'm just so honored that I was able to, you know, have been a part of that. And, like, a lot of us have stayed friends, you know, a lot of the singers that we met during that time. And we all still stay in touch. They're guys from D.C., um, Texas, you know, all over. Um. So I know I know that you do, you your vocals are definitely on uh, Hallow You Money and they're yeah. on Saturn's Bars and Ascension because we've gotten the full credits on those rec- on those tracks. So right. is that how you, so you guys saw that? I was like, because when, I was like, how did they find me? Like, I haven't seen oh, anything. Oh, by being super nerd. <laughs> yeah, we're, we, we do our research here at Hallelujah Monkeys. So you're on, we know you're on Saturn's Bars, we know you're on Ascension, Hallelujah Money. Um, any other songs that uh, you recorded vocals for? I'm not really sure. Sure. Have you have you heard the record? I haven't heard the record. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. Ooh, that's exciting. You get to hear it with us. I forgot all about it until you guys like tweeted me. 
That's so crazy. I, oh, oh, yeah. I was on a Gorillaz album. That's right. Because <laughs> they just dropped that amazing track with Mavis Staples on it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's some yeah, choral vocals. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, on I'm too. on that one. I remember when they, when, they, when they told us about that plan. We were like, yes. Oh, she's she rips that song. Yeah, she kills oh, it. Man. She kills it. Oh my god! You think you guys you guys think it's Grammy worthy? I think it's Grammy worthy. Oh, for sure. Like I think I think that this is this is going to be such a huge moment for a whole generation of people to get into Mavis Staples. This like, is great. Uh, I'd love to know. Did you did you? Because there's three credited producers on this record. There's Remy Kabaka, who's worked with the band for like a really long time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's Damon, of course. And there's the Twilight Tone, who you said you kind of made your way yeah. into the project through, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know like if you got a sense of how their dynamic worked together as far as how the power was divided between those three guys and sort of who was doing what. Um I can't really say that much cuz there was so much I'm sure that happened when we weren't around, but when we were around, it seemed like it was like three people who respected each other so much and like and just let whoever chime in whenever it was something that they had a strong conviction for if that makes sense that's so cool yeah. that's so cool yeah um and because that seems like it would be hard to navigate having three kind of equal partner producers i i mean i don't know if it's equal all i can know is that like when we were around that was the vibe and they had this like bro chemistry and like it was just like always like fun and like laughs and like you know what i mean and just like you know it 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 seemed very bro-ish and when it's a bro situation then anything can can work i feel did you have a, a track that you recorded on that like immediately jumped out to you as like, oh, this is the one? Hallelujah, money. Awesome. Yeah, and you know it sounds a lot different now than you know what it sounded like when we were recording because <clears throat> it was it was a lot more bare. You know what I mean? Um, there wasn't much on it yet, and even just that actually the stripped down version to me like when we were recording, just like that three like the way the beat is and like the melody. The dun, yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun, you know what I mean? Right. And then like the melody is very the hook is very to me folky Haitian-ish like it's oh, very yeah. like a old lamenting type of like melody and I was like hey you know what I mean <laughs> I really like that one <laughs> had Benjamin Clementine already laid down his vocals by the time you were recording um, or I don't know no yeah there's that moment uh in that song when Benjamin say, sings like uh it is love that is the root of all evil. And mm. Thank you for trusting me into that first chorus. That like gives me such chills every time. And that and the way that the chorus vocals swell underneath them, right? That's, oh boy, right? So good. I know. Really well done. Yeah, really, really well done. Uh, I, I'm curious uh, if you've heard anything, or because you know, there's going to be a tour. There will be a Gorillas tour this year. Uh, if they do North America, do you think you're going to get the call? I don't know. I would love to do it. Um, I hope I will get the call. You never know. You guys, you never know. You know what I'm saying? I would be so geeked. Well, hopefully if uh, we make it to some shows, we'll see you on stage. Yeah, that would be so rad. And when the record comes out, we'd even love if you if you wanted to give us your thoughts on the completed project. We'd love to have you back on for that. Yes, oh, that's come back, fun. Please. That sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. Let's do it. Let's do it. Always welcome, Melanie. 
thank you. You've been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for coming on Hallelujah Monkeys. Can't thank you enough. Thank you, guys. You guys are really awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. All right, thank you. Don't wanna sound conceited, but I just can't believe it. I am just being myself. And thanks again to Melanie Charles. Wasn't that awesome, Trevor? That was really cool. Like, let's hope that this becomes a new precedent for the podcast. I hope that Melanie isn't the last person that we speak to who has worked with this band, but for the first person who we've spoken to, you could not have asked for just a more lovely, open, warm, and, and charming person. Went really well. I definitely, if you are listening to this uh, right now and you live anywhere near the New York City area, uh, the day that this drops, Monday, the 10th of April, you can actually go see Melanie Charles tonight. She has a pretty big show, actually, at the world-famous Brooklyn Bowl uh, in New York City. Uh, the show starts at midnight. The There are still tickets. You can get them at TicketFly.com and also BrooklynBowl.com. Um, I also would love to advise you to follow Melanie on Twitter. That is at Melanie Charles. And you can see, you know, she's shot some really cool music videos and, and she has a lot of music for you to explore. And a great place to start for that is uh, MelanieJBCharles.com. And you can hear her more on the new Gorillaz album. Oh, yeah. And, and even she doesn't know necessarily how much you'll hear her on the new Gorillaz album. So that's exciting. Trevor, what an episode. Yeah, it was good. I'm a little disappointed that we had to push our Demon Days uh, discussion back a week, but we will get to you that next week. You know what? Me too. Week. I think it was worth it to kind of put this interview out there. That was really great. Yeah, but I am so charged up right now to talk about Demon Days with you, man. Me too. I'm psyched for that. So, you know, tune in tune in next week. And uh, and until then, I am Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath. Oh, uh, I'm so sorry. We are remiss. How about you, uh, how about you uh, let us out? No? <laughs> are we passing? Uh, shit. Hey, re- when we drop... Another episode. You best be ready for it. <laughs> is this is this what it's come to, Trevor? Are you yeah, every just... every the last thirty seconds of every episode is just going to be me scrolling through the genius page of whatever song we ended up talking about the most and trying to find something clever to get signed off on. And you know what? I won't get tired at all. Oh my god, Trevor! No, we're yeah. canceled. No we'll demon we'll days. We'll, we'll do a whole long fade out on this whole conversation. Well, something. <laughs> Am I passing to the light when I'm looking too much time? All the world is out of your hands. Be ready, 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 ready. Be ready.